Amen. You may be seated. And I just want to stay in this moment just a moment longer. Thanks, Kelly, for letting me hop in and fill in at the last minute. But I would love it if we could just say out loud a thank you. So how would you finish this sentence this evening? Thank you for, when we're talking to God. Kiddos, what do you think? Thank you for, and let's fill in the blank. All the things that God does in our life. What else? What are we saying as we worship and continue to praise him? Thank you for what? Healing. Healing. Amen. What is, for what? Summer. Wiley must be getting out sooner than others. What are a couple more thank yous? Meeting our needs. Yes, sir, Clark. Being alive, yes. We say thank you for life and breath. And we are mindful this evening of some of those in our community and our neighbors that are in need of healing and help and struggle. And so we also say, God, would you continue to meet our needs, continue to give us life and breath. And I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be here. And it is good to be God's people together. Amen? Amen. I would love it if you could turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9. We have some Bibles up here if you need one. That's yours to keep. Also, if you haven't already, grab one of these communion packs. Everyone else, let's turn to Acts chapter 9. We're going to be there in a moment. Um, The answer is yes. Yes, I have a Mavericks shirt on beneath my blue Mavericks shirt here. Yes, I wondered, should we cancel our worship gathering because it's the first playoff game? But I'm here standing before you because Jesus matters more even than the Mavericks. Amen? Amen. We're in the book of Acts. And Acts tells the story of how the good news of Jesus is on the move to who? To everyone, everywhere. But Acts is also, if you'll recall in chapter 1, the continuation of all that Jesus, as Luke says, began to do now through his people. Luke wrote the book of Acts. Luke also wrote the gospel of Luke. And so when he's writing part two, the book of Acts, he says, hey, you'll remember part one was all that Jesus began to do, which means that Acts must be what he continues to do through the spirit of God and the followers of Jesus. So on every sentence of every page, The power and presence of Jesus hovers over each page of this story. And tonight we're going to see Peter return to our tale. And Peter's going to do Jesus stuff. Peter's going to do what he saw Jesus do. And what we're going to see is two stories of miraculous surprises. And then I'm going to give you four reminders when we have more questions than answers. Why? Because these two stories of miraculous surprises actually produce more questions than answers. So we got two stories with four reminders when we have more questions than answers. You with me? Cool. Acts chapter 9, sandwiched in between two powerful conversion stories we get These two stories of miraculous surprises. Verse 32. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people, or saints, 
who lived in Lydda. There he found a man, oh, there he found a man named Ananias, who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Ananias, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. So immediately Ananias got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon, that's that region, saw him and turned to the Lord. That's story number one. About 12 miles away, verse 36, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room, then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Sound familiar? Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon to be continued next week. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say... Thanks be to God. Hey, I know we got a few kiddos here, so before we get back into our two stories of miraculous surprise, let me ask you a question. What was a time, kids, that you got a big surprise? What do you think, Emma? Okay, let's wait a minute. We should have vetted this first. Anyone else? Shh, edit this from the video. What's another big surprise? I'll tell you one, Emma. Since you were ready to tell one, let me tell you. This week, Emma and Nora have their checkups, their yearly checkups. And every time they're headed for a checkup, they're really nervous. Why are you guys nervous? Because you think you're going to get your blood drawn or you're going to get shots. How about last year's checkup? Did you get any shots? No? How did you feel when you found out this news? A big relief. Much better. I should have coached you. Now I'm going to learn this for next time. But you did a great job on round two. Why was that such a great surprise, Emma and Nora? You were so worried. Kids and adults, isn't it something about the best surprises come when you've prepared for the worst, right? It's when you expect the worst that when a good surprise comes through, you are elated, you're joyful, you feel amazing. These are two such stories of relief and restoration, and they put the whole towns on notice that there's a power at loose in the world, 
and it could change their worst case scenarios, shots and blood draws or otherwise. You with me? I think it's so surprising these two miraculous stories with these two miraculous surprises sandwiched between the big stories, right, of Saul's conversion and then next week, the longest story in the book of Acts, my favorite story in the book of Acts, where God really does move to everyone everywhere. But the interesting thing about these two little stories sandwiched in between those big dramatic conversions is that I told you they raise more questions than answers. So stay with me here. Here's some of the questions I'm talking about. Why Aeneas and not others? Why does he get healed? Didn't Peter see other sick folk? Didn't Jesus walk past a lot of lepers and paralyzed people? Why him and not others? We don't know. Why after eight years? Why now? Okay, how does Peter know that Jesus Christ heals you? Were you with me on that? How about this question? When we meet Tabitha, immediately after we're told about how good she is, what happens next? She gets sick and what? So God, why do bad things happen to good people, right? Why do they have to, how about this, if you're reading along in the book of Acts, there's a vision in Acts chapter 9, these dramatic images and dreams that come to these people. And then in Acts chapter 10, there's more visions, right? But why did they just have to send a couple ordinary people down the road to go fetch Peter? Why not angels and visions and supernatural connections here? You with me on this? I don't know, man. You think? That's a good theory. Easy because they would recognize ordinary people, but also they seem to act on these powerful visions they have. It could go both ways. But finally, probably the biggest question is this, and I know you are all thinking it, and thank you for not giggling, especially you, Kelly, because you like to laugh at me when I'm up here. <laughs> the biggest question is this. Did Tabitha get teased when she was a child because her Greek name is Dorcas? Tabitha and Dorcas mean gazelle, which is pretty cool, but it doesn't age well in 2021. These surprising stories, I believe, leave a lot of questions more than answers. But if you don't know by now, let me tell you this. God does not promise all the answers. He doesn't promise all the safety, and he doesn't promise all the certainty, but God does promise his presence, love, and life that's eternal. You with me on this? Anecdotally, experientially, you've been sick, you've been desperate, you've had prayers that weren't answered in your way and in your timing, because guess what? If you haven't learned by now, God and life keep you guessing, but here's the deal. Because of this, God is nudging us, inviting us, forming us so we can keep our eyes open and trust him each step. If we had it all figured out, would you really develop a loving trust in God or would you say, I got it, thanks. 
I know why I'm paralyzed for eight years. I know why I'm stuck. I know why I'm grieving my friend who just passed. I've got it all figured out. Thank you. I don't need you, God. How about this? If we had God all figured out, would that be a God that's big enough to worship? So before we really dive back into these stories, our first two reminders for when we have more questions than answers, the first of them goes like this. Embrace mystery. Because you can't and won't have God and life all figured out. I think it's like trying to bottle the ocean. When God, who is inviting us for a loving, attentive, intentional relationship of trust and power and intimacy and growth, instead of trying to bottle the ocean, he's inviting us to dive in in all the joy and power of the waves of the God of the universe. A few weeks ago, I was sitting with someone that had a lot of questions raised by this text. Why now, not then? Why is this person healed, but not my family member? Why is there so much tumult and evil and disconnect and brokenness? And I said, man, let me tell you, I feel like we've just got to embrace the mystery and trust that God is bigger and actually good which leads me to my second reminder for when we have more questions and answers and before we look back at our stories, you cannot outbelieve the love of God, but keep trying. Because just like you can't bottle the ocean and all the vastness and bigness and almightiness of God, just when you think you've arrived at the God who is love, having reached the tail end of his grace and mercy and love, he moves the finish line out past the horizon, and I'm telling you, you cannot out-believe the love of God when John says, God is love. French philosopher Simone Weil said that God is love like an emerald is green which is a fancy philosophical way of saying through and through God is love. And if God is bigger and more mysterious than we could ever imagine, then good news, the universe is founded on a foundation of a loving and good creator and sustainer. So when things don't go your way or when they do, we can still trust that he really is making all things new, even if they don't go the way we expect today. Like a man who's paralyzed for eight years, who spent many days wondering and asking questions. Like we did for a group of widows who lost their dear sister and friend. But here we are, two miraculous surprises. Let's dive back into our stories briefly. Peter is on a teaching and encouraging trip, making the rounds. And I love this. I mentioned this when we were reading the passage, but I was reading the NIV, so it didn't say this explicitly. But Luke calls this group of people he's visiting what? Saints. What's fascinating in the New Testament, Paul loves that word. Luke doesn't use it that much. But he's always talking about a group of people. 
And what's powerful in this moment is this ordinary group of people who are trying to follow Jesus in the first century, the first generation of the church, they are the ones called saints, which means they are the ones that God has set apart for his life and blessing, and he's set them apart. That's amazing, isn't it? Little old ordinary people like you and me. So Peter's making the rounds in this coastal region, a pretty good distance from Jerusalem. They're moving to everyone everywhere. And he finds this man and he thinks, you know what? I saw Jesus heal a guy like this. You remember the story of when Jesus encounters a paralyzed man and he says, hey, get up and walk. You remember this story? So what does Peter say? Get up and walk. Get up and make your bed. Peter saw Jesus do this, which is why he says, Jesus Christ heals you. I love this because people will worship Peter in the next chapter of Acts, but just so there's no question, he wants us to understand that it is the power of Jesus Christ that I'm able to say, get up, roll up your mat. And Aeneas walks away a living testimony of the power of Jesus Christ and it got people's attention and so they turned to Jesus. But what's powerful in this story is that Peter does Jesus stuff but he doesn't do it without Jesus' name. Which leads me to my third reminder when we have more questions than answers. In the name of Jesus, life and transformation are a word away. We're trying to teach our girls in praying that we close our prayers by saying, in Jesus' name. If you grew up in a liturgical tradition, they would say, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And a lot of times with religious language and practice, it becomes ritual and rote, but we need to pause and remember that we don't just demand these things of God, put the quarter in the cosmic vending machine because you better do what we want. No, we do this not on our own authority, not in our own strength, not in our own wisdom, but in the name of Jesus where the life and power is. Or through Jesus Christ our Lord, because he's the one that's interceding for us even now. In the name of Jesus, life and transformation are a word away. And perhaps for eight years he said, yeah, but I've been invoking the name of God. Well, this is why in the neighborhood church we talk about praying like this. We pray... Believing that God can, do you remember this? Asking that God will, and trusting that God loves us no matter what. Because friends, there will be a number of prayers you pray in Jesus' name and through Jesus Christ our Lord, and you have all the faith, you have all the hope, you have all the want to, and yet, so we believe that God can, we ask and we ask and we ask and we ask in Jesus' name that God will. And we trust that God loves us no matter what because reminder number two says, you cannot outbelieve the love of God. So for this man, this day was a miraculous surprise. 
But Peter's got to go elsewhere because two people come and say, we need you here quick. Let's turn to our second story of a miraculous surprise that interrupts a funeral. Speaking of funerals, there's a huge challenge at every funeral. It is so hard to sum up a life in an hour, right? What's the longest funeral you've been to? Two, three hours? Okay, Oh, you got a longer one? Not even that long. How do you sum up a life in a few words, in a few moments? You can't. But here's what I've found as someone who does funerals. The best funeral stories that I can give or that I've heard often highlight the little things. You know what I'm saying? The little memories, the little quirks, the little quotes, the little hobbies, because those little things point to the bigger things. You with me on this? You know what I'm saying? I did a funeral for a man that I had never met. And so what I did was I started to ask family for stories, memories, quotes, quirks. And one or two things just kept coming up. And they talked about the house and the acreage that this man had, and they called it the hill. I want to be a guy that has a house that has a name, right? We just bought a house. We just closed on a house. I will take your submissions as to what the name of our house will be. This one was the hill. That's pretty awesome. They kept saying the hill, the hill. I'm like, what are you talking about the hill? And then they said, oh, and at the hill, he had the Coke machine. And they're like, yeah, the Coke machine. I'm like, okay, cool. I've seen Coke machines before. Nah, nah, not like this Coke machine, man. It was so great. What was great about it? Man, you didn't even have to put quarters in. I was like, cool. He'd be pretty sorry if he made all you grandkids buy a Coke every single time. But they said, man, but that was just how he was. And I was like, well, how was he? And finally, we kept drilling down and we realized, oh, the thing about the hill, the thing about the Coke machine, we realized that this man did all he could do to create a space and an environment where his children and 11 grandchildren and five great-grandchildren would want to be to create memories. And so sometimes a house is more like a place of family, right? Sometimes a Coke machine is more than an appliance, right? Sometimes a coat and a dress and a robe are more than just clothing. So when Peter interrupts a funeral and he sees these widows grieving and showing him all the things that their dear sister Tabitha had made, it takes those little things that point to the bigger things because those little things spoke to a woman who gave of herself, her gifts, her energy. They are the tangible souvenirs of a life well lived. Do you know this? I didn't know this until this week. Tabitha is the only woman in the New Testament who is explicitly called a disciple. Isn't that amazing? 
Isn't that shocking? This speaks a bit to the culture in which the New Testament was written, but it also speaks to how vital women were in the first generation of the church. And what's amazing is she's not just called a disciple, which, by the way, she was. Listen to her little eulogy. Did you catch what she was about? What was it? She was always doing what? Good and what? And helping the poor. What a eulogy. Sometimes we think in terms of building our resume, but what if you were to live in light of your eulogy? Those quirks and characters and those qualities that people would look back on you and say, oh yeah, Mark, he was always good, doing good, helping people, present, calling, checking in. What a legacy. No wonder she was called a disciple, amen? No wonder. We don't know if Tabitha was a widow, but we know that these widows, these most vulnerable women, claimed Tabitha as their own. Look at these clothes that she made. She was attentive to us. We are present to her because she was present to us. Her Life and work mattered because Tabitha, listen, is a stand-in for the thousands of unnamed women and unrecognized women who followed Jesus, who supported Jesus through their life and their work and their hands and their money and their ministry. The thousands of unnamed women who had churches that met in their homes that supported the work of the saints to everyone, to everywhere. Tabitha's a stand-in for all of the women then and the billions of women throughout history who love everyday people in everyday ways. They are the heart and hands of the church that get things done. Show of hands if you grew up in the church and you had a Tabitha that did ordinary things with extraordinary love. At the church that I was at previously, there was a woman that showed up every afternoon during school in a difficult kind of apartment complex, much like Freeman Heights has over here that we know through the rock, and she was waiting for children every single day when they got off the bus so she could let them in and give them a safe place before their parents came home. Or how about a gentleman that made a stool, a little seat for every single baby that was born in the church to have a tangible souvenir of doing everyday things for everyday people. How many of you know the hearts and hands of the church even here, giving of their time, energy, and efforts? Tabitha was a disciple. So what the grieving widows show us as they show Peter her clothes is how the little things point to the big things But what if we just didn't wait till our funeral to share it and talk about it and honor those in our midst with it? Amen? What these grieving widows show us is that every little gift and every little interaction rooted in the love of God can leave a big impact behind. Do you believe this? Or do you need a microphone? Do you believe this or do we need to be a megachurch? Do you believe this or do you need to be on stage? What if we viewed our life like Tabitha and the little that we can deduce from this story that did every little thing, every little gift rooted in the love of God 
to consider what kind of impact you want to leave with those that others may have forgotten. Hmm. I love what Mother Teresa, who in 2016, the Catholic Church named as Saint Teresa of Calcutta, she says this, never worry about numbers. Help one person at a time and start with the person nearest you. A quote that was often misattributed to Mother Teresa, but is still awesome, is to do little things with great love. This is the legacy of Tabitha and Teresa to faithfully serve the little people in little ways with great love. So I love this because these widows who are grieving, showing him the clothes, they get a miraculous surprise. And guess what? Peter, man, he's plagiarizing Jesus again. In Mark chapter 5, you may remember the story with the woman and the bleeding. Everybody's pressing in on Jesus, and someone touches his robe while he's on his way to an important person's house because this important person named Jairus has had his daughter die. So Jesus gets a little bit distracted, but guess what? Oh, it's too late. Don't even bother. But Jesus still goes, and I believe he takes Peter with him. So he arrives in a house, and Jesus sends everybody away so it can just be him maybe his trusted friends. So Peter says, I've seen Jesus do this. Hey, widows, that's an awesome dress. But why don't you take that outside? Let me go see Miss Tabitha. What Peter does is what Jesus, we don't think, did. He may have. But Peter prays. And I think this is an important detail. Remember, Luke wrote this story, so Peter had to tell Luke, hey, I went in there and prayed. Even though I was alone, I need you to know that I prayed because I know the name that's a word away where the life and the transformation is. I know the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life, so let me talk to him. And I'm gonna believe that he can, I'm gonna ask that he will, and I'm gonna trust that he loves me and Tabitha and these widows, no matter what happens. And somewhere in between the praying and the discerning, more questions than answers, he understands that there is more life and love and service and little things that point to big things to be had yet. So he says, Tabitha, get up. Now, I told you this man is copying Jesus stuff. When Jesus raises Jairus' daughter, he used the language Aramaic, which is like Hebrew, and it was the spoken language of the Hebrew people in Jesus' day. And he said the word Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. I gotta believe that Peter, who knew Aramaic, said Tabitha kum, Tabitha, get up. I saw the resurrection and the life tell the dead girl to get up. I'm gonna invoke the resurrection and the life and ask this woman to get up. And he restores her back to the community that she loved well. He told Aeneas, get up. He tells Tabitha, get up. And again, she walks away as a living, breathing testimony to where the power is. And everyone turned to the Lord because they had a Tabitha and they had an Aeneas. And so they wanted to go where the life was. Amen?
you and I are living, breathing testimonies. We know someone God raised from the dead, and you may not have that story, but you are a living, breathing testimony to the power of God at work in your life because by God's grace and the spirit at work within you, you are not who you once were a year or two or three ago, amen? Because the one who will say, I am making all things new, is in the business of changing and forming and growing and renewing you even now. So before we get to the final reminder, I want to close, but not with a story. I want to actually talk a little bit about death. Because we're talking about more questions than answers, this is a good time to talk, even with our children present, about what we believe and what we hope for when we follow someone who called himself the resurrection and the life. The question that we've been talking with our kids about is what happens when we die? Because Tabitha was resuscitated and she's going to die again, just like Lazarus we talked about at Easter. So what happens when we die? And it's fascinating that if I would go speak at youth groups, a lot of times I would say, what's the point? What's the goal of being a Christian? They say, well, to go to heaven when you die. And what's fascinating is that, okay, if that's what you said, like, look through the Bible and show me all the verses that talks about it. And the truth is they're there, but they're a little more mysterious and implicit. When you talk about the immediate after the moment of death, kind of question. You with me on this? This may be surprising to some of you, which is why we need to talk about it for just a moment. I believe, by the way, if you're wondering where that Bible verse is, Paul will later say, I believe to be absent the body is to be present with what? The Lord. I believe that the one who said, um, you, I give eternal life, means it's eternal not just in quantity that goes forever, but it's eternal in quality, the life of heaven that invades earth. He's not just going to remove that. I believe that that life is on loan even after the moment of death. So I believe that we go to be with God, the sustainer and giver of life. Amen? So that your grandma, your friend, whoever has passed, though her body and his body is buried in the ground, some essence, some soul, the spirit is with God, the giver of life, who is spirit. Amen? This is what we believe. Heaven is God's space. And it may look a little less like the streets of gold and those things because that's actually going to come later. But that's my third question. My second question is, okay, what happens when Christ returns? Now, especially in America, and especially in the last hundred years, there's all kinds of calculations and charts and curiosities around it. But historically, the majority view of Christian faith is that Jesus Christ will return once, and Jesus Christ will return, and when he returns, and this is in 1 Corinthians 15, you can also see this in 2 Corinthians 5 if you're writing it down, when Christ returns, that body of your friend and family member will be raised up just like Jesus' body was raised up. And the souls and spirits that were in God's space with God who is alive will be reunited with a body that is now fit, listen, for heaven and earth. Y'all remember after Easter, we're talking about all these times that Jesus looked a little different. 
and he walked through walls. You're like, what is up with that? There is some kind of body because he doesn't want to waste any of it that is fit for heaven and earth. In 1 John 3, he says, we will be like him, Jesus, for we will see him as he is. He's going to give us, 2 Corinthians 5, a tent, a dwelling place that's made for God's space and earth space. So when Jesus Christ returns, the dead will be raised. It sounds crazy. Embrace mystery. Souls will be reunited with body. And everybody sitting there going, this is crazy. Those who are in Christ will be transformed. It's crazy. Embrace mystery. Our third question, because we could call that life after life after death. You feel me? Our soul present to the Lord. And then as N.T. Wright says, we have the life after life after death. When Christ returns, that's the end of the age, the end of the calendar. We're rolling around with our new heavenly bodies. The third and final question I'll ask is, well, what happens at all the end of it? That's where you see not us flying away, old glory to heaven. At the end, in Revelation 20, 21, and 22, watch. It's not us who just go to heaven. It's heaven that comes to earth. Amen. I see a new heavens and a new earth. Do you know that God is not interested in, recycle, in, in throwing this old earth away? He's barely interested in recycling it. He wants to renew it and restore it. And you see the visions in Isaiah 60 and following. You see the lion laying with the lamb. You see creation as it was always meant to be. You see Eden not just restored but renewed. Heaven comes to earth. Is this amazing? Is it crazy? Yes, but embrace mystery. In 1 Timothy, it says that God alone is immortal. Jesus says that anyone who believes in me should not perish but have eternal life. So at the end of the age, those who are in Christ, who said yes to Christ, will live with Christ forever in this new heavens and new earth. And those who have rejected him, have turned away, will get what they want, and that's to cease to be with God and his people. Those are the ones who perish. Those are the ones who reject life and life itself with a capital L. There's some mystery into how all of that works out, and that's for another time and place, but for now, know our final reminder. Death is not the final word. We are a people who follow the resurrection and the life. We are people who trust that life is the end. That the God who gives life and is love is sharing it with his creation. He shared it with Tabitha. He shared it with Aeneas. He's sharing it with you. So before we receive communion, I told you I didn't have another fun story or illustration. I just want to take a pause. And I want you to consider those places where you feel the finality of paralysis. Like Aeneas sitting on a mat for eight years and you wonder and you've got questions and you wonder and you wonder and you wait and you wait. Would you just hold that place for just a moment? 
And would you invoke the name of Jesus and ask for his power and his will and the resurrection and the life to enter into it. Maybe you're on the other side where you felt the finality of death and you're grieving and it's the death of a new opportunity, it's the death of a season, it's a death of a friend and you are sitting there showing God, look, look, she mattered, he mattered, this mattered, that's what grief is. You show others how much you loved and how much it mattered. And like Peter, perhaps you need to lay by that bedside and discern the mysterious and powerful will of God and just ask for resurrection and life. We pray all these things believing that God can. We ask that he will and we trust that he loves us no matter what. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our King, who was and is and is to come. Amen. Amen. Remember the good news that we have received and proclaimed this day, the good news in which we stand and through which we are saved. We will remember and hold tightly to the truth we will proclaim with joy. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said that he would. But the story doesn't end in death. No, death does not get the final word. Christ was raised on the third day, just as it was promised. We are witnesses to this good news, and God commands that we do not keep this news to ourselves. So we will testify to all that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. Until then, we will embrace the mystery of God and this life trusting that we cannot outbelieve his love. May you go from this place in the name of the one who said, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen and go in peace.